0: Good morning, good morning, it's good to see you guys this morning, uh, just the Sunday just before Christmas, uh, we will be in Luke chapter 2 this morning in a very familiar passage, Luke chapter 2, uh, we're going to look at, uh, we'll read verses 1 through 20 here in just a moment, but let me pray. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, you can get one of the blue ones there in front of you, the chair in front of you, and where we'll be is on page uh, 1069, page 1069. Let's pray. Father God, we want to just pause for just a moment as we are the Sunday before we celebrate the arrival of Jesus, So we celebrate Christmas, and we ask that you would grant us the ability to not only see the gift of Jesus that you have given to us when he came, but that you would grant us the ability to see our need for him. That you would grant us the faith once again to see that only he can sufficiently meet our longings and our needs, and that in him we might know the joy This great joy, this good news of great joy that the angel talks about in the passage that we will be reading here in just a moment. So Father, we pray that you would calm this moment as we think about your word. That you would open our hearts and our minds to see you more clearly. To believe your word and to respond to it in faith, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Well, my name is Andy. Uh, I help out with the youth here, and I have the honor of being able to preach this morning. And so we will be in Luke chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 1 through 20, but I'm mainly wanting to focus on uh, verses 8 through 11, this encounter with the shepherds and the angel. And so let's, let's just read this whole section, a very familiar section, I imagine, particularly at this time of the year. So Luke writes his account of this advent, of this arrival of Christmas Day. He says, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus to all the world that should be registered. This was the first registration when Aquinius was the governor of Syria. And all were, went to be registered, each to his own town. Joseph also went up from Galilee from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. There was with the angel a multitude, of heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those whom he has pleased. When the angels left and went away into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go up to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went in haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them, Concerning this child and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds had told them. But Mary treasured all these in her, all these things pondering them in her heart and the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen just as it had been told to them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So every evening, Monday through Friday, every evening this time of the year, I uh, have the privilege of going and picking up my boys from wrestling. Um, they wrestle with the high school team at Northside high School and so uh, so I go I usually go a little bit early because I like to get there. I like to watch them roll around I like to watch the team wrestle uh, so i'm kind of uh, i 'm not in the wrestling room peeking through a window and I just like to see i don 't like them seeing me because i don 't want them to start acting different. I want to see how they 're wrestling so anyways, I enjoy going but What's particular about this is when I go, they get done around 6 o'clock. So when I head to uh, to the gym to pick them up, it's already dark when I'm going out there. So on the way there and on the way back, I get to ride in the evening and I get to see all the Christmas lights, all the houses that are decorated, uh, the trees that are decorated, and it's beautiful and I love it. Uh, and I uh, just love this time of the year. And my family sometimes will get in the car after the sun goes down, and we'll just drive around our neighborhood uh, because we just like looking at all the Christmas lights. And I can imagine you have similar stories. But if I'm honest, and if we're honest, Christmas isn't all hunky-dory. Everything isn't just the beautiful decorations and the lights. My family typically is uh, pretty stressed out during this time. Uh, we're running around mad with our schedules, with everything going on, trying to finish up the semester of school, wrestling season started. Uh, we're usually, uh, uh, well I say usually, we're fighting uh, sometimes. What we like to discuss is we like to discuss at high volumes uh, and very passionately. So it's not really fighting in our house, we just discuss passionately. And so... All of this kind of is going on, and I can imagine some of your stories might be similar. So mingled in between all the fun and the festivities, mingled in between all of the wrapping and all the decorating and all the lights, mingled in the midst of all of this, there is darkness and there is pain and there is brokenness in many of our stories. And I think that's why we like the lights so much. I think that's why we enjoy seeing the decorations. If you think about the lights, why do lights exist? They exist because darkness. Darkness exists. If there wasn't darkness, then we wouldn't have lights. We have lights because there is darkness. And so when we come into the Christmas season, and we see lights everywhere, we see decoration everywhere, we often forget that the Christmas story didn't start in the light, it started in the dark. It didn't start in the light, it starts in darkness. And so what I want us to consider this morning uh, in our time together is three things. One is that the Christmas story, the true Christmas story, begins in darkness, revealing our need. It leads us to the the light, revealing our Savior. And then finally, how do we respond to that? What is our response to this truth, this story of the darkness leading to the light, leading to our Savior? So let's start and just think for just a moment about how the Christmas story begins in darkness, revealing our need. When we come into the Christmas season, as we've already talked about, there are decorations and there's lights everywhere, but the Advent, the true Christmas story, the coming of Jesus doesn't begin, as I've said, in the light. It begins in the darkness. The the backdrop to the story that we read here in Luke chapter 2, Luke's uh, rendition of the Advent, there's a backstory to all of this. The proclamation of the angels in Luke chapter 2, the good news of great joy, it's rooted in the fulfillment of the prophecy spoken by Isaiah over 700 years ago. In the context of Isaiah chapter 7 through chapter 9, uh, there there's a story that's going on. There's a lot that is happening there. And so I want us to think for just a moment about what's happening in the context of Isaiah, which is fulfilled in the story that we see in Luke. Because of sin, Israel was divided from one kingdom into two kingdoms. There's a northern kingdom called Israel. There's a southern kingdom called Judah. During the time of Isaiah, the northern kingdom had been conquered by the Assyrians and they were, they were now threatening to conquer the southern kingdom, Judah. And so Isaiah is warning Judah, do not turn from the Lord. Trust in the Lord. The Lord will provide. The Lord will protect. The Lord will be with you. But King Ahaz and the people of God rebel against God. Rather than trusting in God, they begin to trust in other things. They look to other kings and other kingdoms for their protection. They turn to false gods. They don't believe the word of the Lord. Rather, they turn to, false, to, to idols, to false gods. And in their rebellion, the people of God are thrust into outer or to deep darkness. And this is what I, this is what Isaiah is prophesying about, will come upon the people of God at the end of chapter eight of Isaiah. When he says this in the final verses of that chapter, he says, They will go from one place to another, greatly distressed and hungry. And because they are hungry, they will rage against their king and against their God. They will look upon the heaven and down on the earth, and everywhere they look, there will be trouble, distress, and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into deep darkness. What I want us to see here is that the Christmas story doesn't begin by denying the darkness. It doesn't start by imagining everything is okay. The more often we think about our stories, and particularly a lot of times around Christmas itself, there is this longing for something better. There is often a remembering of pain. The Christmas story often is mingled with life that is shattered in many ways. It's often mingled with dreams that have gone away. It's often mingled with hope that is unfulfilled. And if we're honest, Christmas starts in darkness. But if we don't start in darkness, then the light is not necessary. If we don't acknowledge our great need for the light, then we miss the point of the story itself. So let me ask, are you having, is there need in your own life? Where are you experiencing longing or ache? Where is there darkness within your own story? Where is it that you need the light to shine? Thankfully, Isaiah doesn't just talk about the doom of the darkness that is to come. He speaks about the coming of a hope, a coming of a light. So in chapter 9, as he moves out of 8 into chapter 9, we read this in verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. That you have multiplied the nation, you have increased this joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad with the dividing of the spoil. And then he says down a few verses later in verse 6, For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. What Isaiah is talking about within this darkness, he says, Into the darkness a great light will come. Into the longing came fulfillment. Into lack came a Savior. In Matthew's uh, telling of the story of the Advent, we read this in Matthew chapter 21. That she shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The name Jesus means God saves. God saves. So in order for us to embrace all that the Christmas story is saying to us and means to us, we don't begin with the baby. We begin in darkness. We begin in desperation. We begin as a people desperate for a Savior. Christmas is telling us that a Savior has been born. And if a Savior has been born to us, what does that say about us? It says that we need saving. We need to be saved. It's not saying that you have everything all together. It's not saying that things are perfect and right. Christmas is saying that we need help. The reason the Savior came is because the world needs saving. Our culture around us, particularly around the Christmas season, tells us that joy comes from escaping the darkness, from trying to mask the darkness, to stay busy through the busyness of the Christmas season. And so much of Christmas is about decorating. It's about wrapping. It's about covering. It's about hiding. Much of Christmas is about pretending, acting like everything is alright, acting like everything is okay. But in reality, if we are honest, underneath the wrapping, underneath the lights, behind the lights, there is deep darkness, there is longing, there is desperation, there is pain. It's like the Norman Rockwell painting. Our lights are perfectly ordered, our tree is in the perfect spot. And when people drive by our, our our house and they look through the picture window of our life, what they see is a Norman Rockwell painting. At least that's what we want them to see. But behind those doors are broken people. Behind those lights is deep darkness. Underneath the wrapping, there's pain. And so our culture clings to this idea of joy, but in many ways it's an imitation joy. It's a joy that comes from escaping the darkness and trying to mask the darkness. It's staying busy through all the busyness of Christmas. But in the end, what we're left with are empty boxes, messy houses, and a half-dead tree. The Christmas story not only begins in darkness, but it reveals our need for a Savior. It informs all of us that we are in need. Think about Christmas stories, uh, Christmas movies. This is the time of year where you can turn on Hallmark or whatever. And, well, not Hallmark, those are kind of like love stories. But, you know, the good Christmas stories, right? They, they, they all are telling a similar story if you think about it. They're all a form of telling a story about salvation, some kind of salvation. Think about your favorite Christmas movies. As I thought about some of mine, uh, the Christmas Carol. There's several different renditions. My, my favorite is Jim Carrey's animated version, which is the most recent, I think it's the most recent version. Uh, but it's the story, uh, as you think about the story, it's the story about being saved from our past, saved from our present, and saved from our future. What is, the, what is the whole message saying? It's saying there's something that is wrong, and let me show you your life, and let me show you where you have need. Think about how the Grinch stole Christmas. Who needs saving in that? Well, the Grinch needs to be saved, but so does the town. The town needs to be saved from their rejection of someone that did not look like them or acted like them. So you keep going. You think about Home Alone. Home Alone is a great movie. We watch it all the time, both one and two. Uh, what, is, what is the story there? At the beginning, it's Kevin needs to be saved. But by the time you get to the end of the movie, it's the crooks that need to be saved from Kevin. You keep going. You think about the elf. We watch the elf... Uh, last night in the background at our youth Christmas party. But you think about Elf. Elf. I love Elf. Uh, and you have this character Buddy, Buddy the Elf. And Buddy is, is kind of like a picture of a savior of sorts where he comes and he rescues a grumpy old man from a joyless Christmas. You go on, you think about Charlie Brown Christmas story or Christmas, Charlie Brown Christmas or whatever it's called. What is that? It's about the children trying to rescue Christmas from its over commercialization. And then you come to probably my favorite Christmas Gone Wrong movie of all time, and that's the National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Yeah. I love that. It is, the, it is the best Christmas Gone Wrong movie that there is. What is that story about? It's about Clark Griswold being saved from his family, his family being saved from him, and he being saved from himself, really. Right? It's, it's a great movie. And then you got the classic It's a Wonderful Life. The Wonderful Life has this idea of Clarence the Angel who has come to try to rescue or save George from his self-absorption and feeling like that uh, his life is of no value and all these different things. And so he shows him what his life would be like or what life would be like without him. And he begins to see uh, his place in the world. And so in that sense, there is this idea of redemption in that way. Why do we love these movies? We love these movies not because everything goes right. We love these movies because everything goes wrong. We love these movies because we identify with these movies and we say, yeah, that's what life is like. Christmas is like that. It's crazy. It's hectic. It's, it's, it's just things go awry and whatever else. And so in so many ways, when we get through Christmas and we get to the other side of Christmas, what we often find is that we're still wanting. There's still a wanting there. We build everything up towards that day like Clark Griswold does in his own mind. And we want everything to be perfect. We want all of our longings to be satisfied. But then we get to the end and there's this sort of letdown. and, and Because there's this wanting that is still there. After everything is said and done. Why? Because Christmas cannot fulfill the deep longings that you have. What Christmas does is remind you of your need. It's meant to remind you that there is darkness. There is gloom. There is need. But there is a Savior who has come to rescue us, to save us, to heal us, and to change us. It's not like the beloved Christmas song, um, uh, Santa Claus is Coming to Town. You know that song, right? Everybody loves singing that song. Have you ever thought about the lyrics? Think about the lyrics and the message in which it is said. You better watch out. You better not pout. You better not cry. I'm telling you why. Cause Santa Claus is coming to town. That does not sound like a savior. That doesn't even sound like a nice person. That sounds like a grumpy old man that wants to come beat me up. That's what that sounds like. You go on and the lyrics get even worse. He sees you when you're sleeping and he knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good, so it'll be good. For goodness sake. Do you hear the message of the favorite Christmas song? It's saying, put the lights up. Wrap up the pain. Act like everything is perfect. But the good news of the gospel is we don't have to watch out. We don't have to fight back the tears or put on a happy face. The good news is that you don't have to be good for goodness sake in order to have joy in Christmas. Jesus didn't come to give good gifts to the good. Jesus did not come and tell us to put on a happy face and act like everything is alright. Jesus, in fact, says to the religious leaders, I did not come for those who have no need for a doctor. I didn't come for those who think themselves to be righteous. I didn't come for those who think that they have it all together. I came for those who are in trouble. I came for those who are broken. I came for those who mourn and for those who have deep longings. I came for the sick. Jesus came for those who knew they they needed help. He came for those who have pain. He came because we cannot save ourselves. If you think about the whole Christmas season engine. It is a front. Uh, the Christmas story itself is a front uh, against that. The Christmas story is an affront against this idea of self-saving. It's an affront against this idea of picking yourself up, making your life better by your own power. It stands in the face of this idea that I don't need anything. The Christmas story says you are in great need, but there is a great Savior, and His name is Jesus Christ. The point of a Savior is that you are in need of saving. You don't wrap up your pain and cover it up. Don't put lights over the darkness. Rather, come to the light who is Jesus, and He will wrap you, and He will heal you. The experience of the true Christmas story starts in darkness, recognizing our need in order to lead us to the light revealing our savior it's about a savior it for us it's about knowing that we need saving it begins in the darkness but the savior has come to bring the light look at luke chapter 2 verse 9 and 10 again and the angel of the lord appeared to them and they were filled with great fear and the angel said to them fear not for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, that will be for all the people. For unto you uh, is born this day in the city of David a savior, who is Christ the Lord. For me, a joy-filled Christmas is not having everything go perfect. It's found in being honest about my need and turning to the only one who can help me in that need. The only one who can heal the wounds of my past. The only one who can take away the anxieties I have of my future. The only one that can fill the deep longings of my present. Every time I find myself in wanting, God says, I have. Every time I look to a a friend lets me down and I get all caught up in my own feelings, I look to the one, to the friend who never lets me down. Every time I think that work is going to satisfy me and, and provide the things that I need, which it never does... I get to look to the one who has always provided and will continue to provide for those things. Every time I look to others for approval to find some worth or significance in my life, I get to to look to the one who speaks a far better word over me, who says to me, Andy, the Father is pleased with you because of what I have done for you, not what you have done. The work that I have done on your behalf. And so when you have a bad day, or a bad week, or a bad month, or a bad year, or even a bad life, that is not what makes you significant. I make you significant. Rest in what I have done for you. He speaks a far better word over me. The Christmas story reminds us that we are a people who are in need, and we cannot fill that need ourselves. We have to look to someone else who is able. We have to look to someone else who has the ability to satisfy the deepest longings that we have. And Jesus himself gives us what we cannot earn. We cannot earn the Father's affections. We cannot earn the righteous requirements. We cannot earn a right standing before God through our own works and our good behavior. The Christmas story begins in darkness, but it goes to the light, and that light is the Savior of the world. John begins his gospel introducing Jesus saying this, in Jesus was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines into the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Jesus later in the gospel of John says this of himself, I am the true, I am the, the true light of the world. Who, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness but will have the light of life. My hope for us, as we enter into towards Christmas Day and as we get through Christmas Day, we would say, yes, Jesus is enough. And I don't need to look to stuff. I don't need to look to people. I don't need to look to presence. I don't need to work, look to work or anything else to satisfy the deep longings of my heart because Jesus is enough. There is something better than the lights. There is something better than all the wrappings. There is something better than the performance and the presence. There is someone better than anything else. We need a Savior, and that Savior is Jesus Christ, the Lord. So how do you respond? How do we respond To this idea that God is saying to us through his word that there is, that we have a deep need. A need that cannot be met by anything else or in any other means other than Jesus Christ himself. How do we respond to that? Some of us just... Push it down or ignore it. The, the darkness feels too much. Our, our past feels too heavy or too broken. We just don't want to deal with it. We just want to think about all the good and happy thoughts of the Christmas season. But in our text, we see three different responses to this news. The first one, real quick, is wonder. We see this in verse 18. Luke 2.18 says that all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. All who heard that a Savior had come into the world, and His name is Jesus, all who heard that wondered. That word "wondered" has the idea of amazement or astonishment. Luke uses this term throughout his gospel thirteen times, and it's always associated with the crowd's reaction to Jesus. Now, it's used, it's, it's a positive reaction towards Jesus, meaning they weren't trying to argue against Him; they weren't opponents. But they saw or heard what he did, and they stood amazed at that. They wondered. The term itself does not mean faith. But it does carry, in all of these senses, it does carry this idea of awe, or a seed that might grow into faith. That's the idea behind it. So how do you respond to the idea that the Savior has come into the world, making it clear that you have need? How do you respond to that? Do you wonder? Do you say, I wonder if this is true? I wonder if Jesus is enough. I wonder if he can really meet my deepest longings and needs. I wonder. Maybe that is where you are this morning. And if we're honest, or if you're honest, you're wondering about Jesus. I wonder if, I wonder if what he did through his life and his death is enough for me. I wonder if God really loves me. Would he really send his son to die for me on the cross? You see, the idea of being saved isn't just being saved from a lack of something. And it's not just being saved for a longing for something or being saved from the wounds against me. I'm being saved from myself. Saved from my tendency to look elsewhere to be satisfied in ways that only God can satisfy. Save from my tendency to try and to be God for myself and control my life and my circumstances and my situations and then carrying the weight of the world, my world, upon me. I'm being saved from me. I'm being saved from my sin. I'm being saved from my own brokenness. I'm being saved by God, for God. To be with God. I'm being saved from isolation and separation to communion and relationship. With the one who not only has saved me from my past, but is saving me in my present and will save me in my future. How do you respond? Do you wonder? Can he really? Is this story really true? Maybe that's where you are. You're wondering. But the second response we see with Mary in verse 19. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Now, pondering is different. It means to preserve or to treasure. It's it's in the imperfect tense, meaning that it's ongoing. In other words, Mary is ruminating over these things. She's wrestling with these deep truths in her heart. She hears the good news and she holds fast to those things. It is the active, ongoing work of salvation through faith. Maybe that's where you are. Maybe you hear the story and say, yes. I love this. Keep reminding me of my need for a Savior. Keep reminding me that I don't move past the gospel, that I don't move past my need for Jesus. Keep reminding me over and over and over again of the sufficiency of Jesus. So you're pondering these things. Where in my life am I looking to other things to fill these deep longings that only Christ really can fill? You're pondering where is it in me where I see darkness, or where I'm hiding, or where I'm trying to cover up, or I, I am uh, denying the pain. Where is it that I need the light to shine? Mary pondered, and she treasured it. She ruminated it, and she wrestled with these things. So I encourage you this morning, if that's you, where you're pondering, and if you're a follower of Jesus, we're often sitting in that position of pondering. I want to encourage you to treasure Christ, to treasure Something is to value it, to put weight or worth on it, that there is no other greater gift than Jesus, so we treasure him. To treasure is to say, I'm willing to forsake all else in order to have that. For some of you, that's where we are and what needs to happen, to ponder these things and to treasure. To ponder saying, where have I been seeking elsewhere for what only God can give me? Where have I been grabbing a hold of something that i believing that these things will rescue me? Where, where have I misplaced my longings? Ponder it. And then treasure. Treasure Christ. Christ my hope, my savior, my satisfaction. Jesus is coming to the darkness, bringing light. Jesus satisfies our deep longings of our soul. We are to treasure Jesus. And then finally and quickly, the third response we see with the shepherds in verse 20. And the shepherds returning, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. Hearing proceeds seeing. This is how faith works. The joy of the shepherds was not something innate within themselves that they conjured up. It was a response to what they had been told. It's to what the text says. Praising and glorifying God. The shepherds were overwhelmed. They started in a place of darkness and fear. They hear the good news of great joy. They see the light. They meet Jesus and they go and tell everyone because the Savior has come into the world and this changes everything. I've heard it said that the culmination of our joy is expressed in our praising. Yesterday, my oldest son was at a wrestling tournament and it was his last match. He was wrestling for the third place place prize. It was coming into the third period, just minimal seconds left in the in the match. He was down by two. He's wrestling hard. He ends up getting a reversal, which means he gets two points. So now it's tied four to four. And in the waning seconds of the match, he's able to turn the guy over on his back. He gets the points for that. And at the very end, he actually pins a guy. And what does mom and dad do? In our joy, we start screaming. That's our response when we are excited about something. That's what the shepherds did. They glorified and praised him because of what they had heard. The news was so good that it came out in praise. Let's pray. Father, I pray this morning that as we contemplate our need for a Savior, that as we think of Jesus, the Savior of the world, coming into the world to rescue us from from the penalty and power of sin, And to fulfill the deepest longings of our heart to mend our broken hearts, I pray Father, that we don't pretend, that we don't try to wrap up the pain with pretty wrapping, that we don't cover up the broken trees of our life with pretty lights, but that we would realize that the Savior has come into our darkness. He's come into the darkness to bring light and hope, to bring healing and love. And I pray that as this penetrates into our hearts and as we ponder and treasure these things, that it might overflow in joy in Christ. And I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, each week.